food's more expensive than ever, fueling up your vehicle is more expensive than ever, and you may never know the dream of owning your own piece of this beautiful country. But don't worry, because Justin Trudeau is giving more of your money than ever to failing media companies. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. like most Canadians, you think the government is doing a bad job at managing your money. And you might think that Justin Trudeau, at least according to new Ipsos polling, is the worst prime minister in 50 years. And quite frankly, it's <laughs> nice to see my opinions reconfirmed in some polling data. Take that for what you will. But life is just so oppressively expensive in Canada, and it's not getting any better. In fact, the government is doing several things to make it worse. So, I thought I would bring on someone who watches all the ways the government finds to waste your money, and they're getting more creative than ever. So joining me now is my friend, Chris Sims, from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in an interview we recorded earlier today. Take a listen. So joining me now is my friend, good friend of the show, Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, somebody who is frequently mistaken for me because, you know, a couple of prairie brunettes who hate large <laughs> government and taxes and care about freedom. I guess we're interchangeable. I've done worse, I'm sure. So has she. Uh, Chris, thanks, yes. for, thanks for joining me. Um, you have um, a really great op-ed about uh, how Canadians reject the idea that government should be funding the media. And we were just talking off air in a conversation I uh, I wish we had saved for later, but we can sort of rehash it now. It's destroyed the trust that Canadians have in media. It has. And as a longtime journalist myself, I spent the better part of 20 years as a reporter, trained at journalism school. I went to BCIT uh, and I took it really seriously. And I still do. Uh, I think it's a calling. I think it's a craft. Uh, I think it's a duty in many cases to tell the stories of those who don't have a microphone, um, to speak truth to power. Uh, and so that's what really hit me the hardest. So there's this long-standing survey slash study on trust. Apparently, it's been going on for around 20 years or so in most major countries, and they do individual countries. And the most recent one, they have the data from 2022, said that 61% of Canadians now think that journalists are actively trying to mislead them with statements they know to be false or gross exaggerations. So I just want to put a cherry on that. Um... Back in the day, and any good journalist would lose sleep over an accidental mistake. Yep. You got a name wrong. You mispronounced something. The date was off. Ugh, like, especially if you're covering something really specific, like committee or court. Mm -hmm. Those sort of mistakes, you know, they haunt you, and mm -hmm. you're really careful. That's not it, Sheila. 61% of Canadians now think that they're actively being misled. By journalists. So if you've got a big majority, and that's what that is, of Canadians now thinking like, you're not telling the truth deliberately. 
I don't really know where you go from here as far as journalistic trust goes. And, uh, Speaking on the Taxpayers Federation angle, so we, we come at things from a monetary policy, obviously. Um, the fact that the government is paying journalists big money has got to be affecting that trust. You know, it, it's, it, it's hard to put into words when you see what's happening to the mainstream media in this country. However, if they remain terrible, I have job security for as long as I want it. But they are being denied the market correction that you would see in other industries. If other industries were bleeding customers and bleeding revenue simultaneously, there would be a huge moment of introspection. Executives would be fired um, because they would be trying to course correct the ship. But in media, that's not happening because along comes Justin Trudeau with a bag full of somebody else's money to say, no, 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 just keep doing what you're doing, guys. What kind of money? I, I don't think the average consumer understands. But once you do, you will realize the lens through which they are reporting. What's what's the money being shoveled at newsrooms in this country? So... I would say that there is some attempt at course correction, but it's it's not working. So we yeah. saw recently, of course, the massive layoffs at Bell and radio stations being shut down. So we did see that. However, it doesn't follow along with, you know, the executives or the brass or a right. change in direction. Right. And so there's two things for the media, the pool of money that the media gets from the government. So one, there's the CBC. Okay. They get more than $1.2 billion per year. But that's been happening for a long time. So let's set that aside for a sec. There's the so-called media bailout. People call it that. It's around $595 million. So close to $600 million has been set aside for non-CBC media. Now, this is key. We don't know which ones exactly have taken the money, but by and large... It is print. Yeah. So as of right now and so far, it has been largely print that has taken taxpayers' money, that has taken government money. And uh, folks over at Canada Land, to give them credit, did the mm -hmm. math and they broke down how much money that is per reporter. Now, on average, that's around $13,000 per reporter. Yes, not $1,300, not 130 bucks. $13,000. So this led me, like I said, being a lifelong journalist, to kind of do a little thought experiment. Imagine you're up on Parliament Hill, and you're a reporter, and you're working for, in the press gallery, and it's your job to, you know, speak truth to power, to hold the government to account. How well are you going to be able to do that if you're counting on that same government for your paycheck? Maybe even the existence of your job, because right. we all know, you know, margins in, in private newsrooms are pretty tight. Uh, 13 grand, your job might not exist without that 13 grand. How on earth are you supposed to call that game straight? Yeah. Like you can't. You, it's human nature. Even if you tried your darndest, it is still in the back of your mind. And even if somehow you miraculously could say you were like, you know, data from Star Trek or something and you were able to do so, it's the perception of bias. So if the Canadians watching you know that you're being paid by the government, it's the perception of bias that destroys the trust. It's the same as ethics. 
right? If it's the perception of corruption, once it's there, like you, you can't regain it. So this is why this is a fundamental thing. Journalists being paid by the government are in a huge conflict of interest. It mustn't happen. And I don't think people realize, but again, once you start paying attention for it, you'll see it. The government also funds special initiative journalism in local papers. So, for example, if I'm reading the Fort Saskatchewan record, which I'm not quite sure what the circulation is there, but I'm sure it's fewer than 10,000. If I'm reading that and I'm seeing a bunch of shoehorned in climate change garbage that literally nobody in my community of farmers and uh, industrial workers cares about, and you're wondering why is this in the Fort Saskatchewan record? I'm here for the hog prices and the garage sales. Um, <laughs> you know, it's be- right. It's because yeah. Post Media or Glacier or whomever is running your local news outlet is being given special funding by the government for a special initiative reporter, a climate change reporter, usually is what it is. And look at that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that possibly serving the community and the readers? And even if you wanted to do another, you know, thought experiment, you know, to be fair, let's imagine that there was a different government in charge and their priorities were completely different. And for some reason, they were funding the government too. Imagine if it was hog prices and I don't know, uh, when the firing range is open that day. In downtown Toronto. Right. They'd be like, what? What is this? Why am I reading about this? Because the government is paying for that reporter to say those things. That is not a free press, folks. I, The term free press, I think some folks might have thought that it harkens back to an old timey era of when those rolled up newspapers were free for the taking off the newsstand. <laughs> no, no, it meant free from government. That means money, influence, censorship, all that jazz. So a free press needs to be a free press. It doesn't matter whose team is in power. A free press is essential in order to hold the government to account. And this is why the Taxpayers Federation were flagging it. So number one, it's just a huge waste of money. If you add up, it's awful, but if you add up how much money we've spent on the CBC and this so-called media bailout and a few other emergency top-up fundings right. over the last four years, oh, the COVID it's bailout. well... Yes, yes. It's well over $5 billion. Like, you're, I think it was like 300,000 families could have groceries for a year. Something like that. It was a really big number. $5 billion that we have poured from the government into media. And it has to stop. Not one nickel should be going into journalism from the government. And I think from a news consumer's point of view, it ends up being a huge psyop on the population because I'm there, like I said, I'm there for the hog prices, the garage sales, and maybe, you know, the farm equipment that are being listed on the classifieds. I'm looking for a I hay- love reading the letters too. Those are yeah. my favorite. The I'm grumpy for, letters. Yeah. I'm looking for a hay rake, to be honest with <laughs> <Yeah>. you. Um, <laughs> and I'm reading that and I'm like, wait, am I, I don't care about climate change. Uh, am I supposed to care about it? Because apparently everybody else in my community does. And so it sort of rewires your brain in a way that normally, you know, all of a sudden you're like, wait, do, do we all do we all care about this? Am I the strange one? Because I don't care because I see this in the newspaper every single week. So obviously, because people are reporting on it, they must care about it. I, I think it plays games with the minds of the consumer. 
See, there it becomes this top-down influencing. Yeah. Instead of this grassroots organic interest in something that is then reflected in the local newspaper or the local media, right? Because that would be the free and fair exchange in ideas or the market correcting itself, people choosing to buy the newspaper, all that stuff. Whereas if it's coming from whatever ideology from top down, you're going to be getting a semi-artificial product right there in your newspaper. And so this is, again, why uh, we need to really speak up about this, because if we don't have a free press and if we have potential government censorship of online news media or independent news media through C11, like like that's a stranglehold on free expression in Canada. And the reason why we continuously flag this is because they're not done. No. So C18, yeah. I know you guys have mo- covered this. Um, C18, in essence, wants to force big tech yeah. to pay for when news links are posted and they want them to pay into newsrooms. So we don't have an exact dog in that fight. Don't know where that's going to go, but we can tell you what's going to happen when it all falls apart. Taxpayers are going to be stuck holding the bill. And the heritage minister, Pablo Rodriguez, already indicated this. To paraphrase, he said, we need to make sure that newsrooms stay open. By we, he meant government. And we need to make sure they have the resources they need. Resources, of course, is government speak for taxpayers' money. So this is no, no. The government does not have business in the newsrooms of the nation. Yeah, a a lot of people don't understand exactly what C-18 is, the Online News Act. It's a shakedown of big tech companies for a bailout for newsrooms that if big tech doesn't give it, we already know the government's going to backstop it. And uh, at the end of the day, Canadians will see less news about Canada and the government and and be able to hold their uh, government to account in a less effective way because big tech is big tech. They control the internet. And you know what they're going to (laughs) do? What they're already doing? Just turn off news to Canadians because they don't want to have to pay Justin Trudeau's bailout, uh, which is really just blackmail. I I mean, Justin Trudeau (coughs) squared off against big tech and lost. And the law is so bad that I find myself cheering for Google and Facebook. Like that's how that's the position you put me in. I didn't have that on my bingo card. I yeah, know. <laughs> I know. And so, and then you combine that with C eleven, mm-hmm. where you've got bureau. Like I'm wincing saying it. Bureaucrats then deciding how Canadian your stuff is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Forgive me, but I've seen this story before. So. I remember uh, back when Sun News Network was trying to go for a mandatory carriage, which didn't incur cost to taxpayers, just want to be clear. Um, but it was so that we had a good uh, cable package offering. And back then, the CRTC, you know, had put us through all these hoops saying, how Canadian really are you? I remember staying up late into the night, holding my kid, phoning all of our supporters saying, please hand write a letter to the CRTC if you feel this way about how Canadian we are. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It ultimately is always up to the personal opinion of the bureaucrat and uh, whatever culture the department happens to have. And then it's in the hands of bigger and bigger government, which you all pay for, by the way, and is ever expanding. Um, It's up to to the CRTC to decide how Canadian uh, the online content producer is under C11. And so now, guess what? That's open to interpretation. 
And it could eventually slide into, oh, we're going to downrig you because mm -hmm. for whatever reason, so that you're not seen anymore. And what was interesting is that I saw uh, content creators back during the, the hearings on C11 from all sorts of ang angles of the political spectrum. I heard all sorts of people saying, I won't be seen anymore, or this is really important to me. Why is this up to the government where I'm going to be showing up on somebody's algorithm? But now it's passed. And so we're going to have to see what happens uh, as a result of it. But when you combine this thing with things like C11 and things like especially the heritage minister trotting around with the taxpayer piggy bank in his hand, you're going to be strangling free expression in the country. And we can't hold the government to account if we can't express ourselves. And I think with C11, much like squaring off with big tech right now, Justin Trudeau is going to find himself squaring off against Netflix, YouTube, Twitter, Rumble. And guess what's going to happen? Rumble already did it in France. They said, OK, fine. You want to control us here and what we can show and what how we run our algorithm? No Rumble for France. And Netflix will do the same. YouTube will do the same. All the other streaming services will do the same. I, I don't think people understand. Twitter will be considered a streaming service because they have a video aspect to their platform now. And Justin Trudeau is going to square off against them for what is considered Canadian content. And what's Elon going to do? Fine. No Canadians for Twitter. And just imagine... Imagine what that does to the exchange of ideas, because while some people would say that Twitter is not real life, granted, I understand. Believe that. Uh, it's also, <laughs> right? And it's also a gathering place for a lot of people and not just a lot of people in general. Um, I'm not trying to sound like an elitist jerk, <laughs> but almost every journalist. Yeah. Independent, government paid, media, etc., international are on Twitter. It's where citizen so it's journalists like are made, including myself. Exactly. Yeah. All I guess that's why I said all journalists like I can't I actually don't know one personally who is not on Twitter anymore, um, even if they say they've left. Uh, it's a it's a watering hole. It's a gathering place. It's a nerve center. And so you've got journalists and politicians right up against each other and a bunch of activists, too. So that's why it's this big buzzing hive all the time. Imagine cutting that off for Canadians and then wh what sort of stories and messaging will be lost. Yeah. I mean, it's I know so many stories that have been broken by citizen journalists who are just there on the scene. You look at the news of the trucker convoy. Almost all the images that people saw were coming from citizen journalists on the scene who just flipped on their cameras in a town that is teeming with journalists who didn't want to go just down onto the streets to talk to the truckers. Ever, all the news, basically, about the trucker convoy came from citizen journalists, and it was all dumped on Twitter uh, and TikTok. And if Justin Trudeau has his way, he might force those platforms to cut Canadians off altogether. Jordan Peterson has compared, I think it was YouTube he was talking about, but I think the, the comparison still stands, where you can just grab this, and suddenly you have all of the technology that I had to book a satellite truck for. It's true. Like 10 years ago. It's crazy. And so I think Jordan Peterson compared YouTube specifically to the printing press. I agree. I agree. I think it's just as much of an informational and cultural revolutionary tool. And if that part is cut off, just imagine the stories you're not being told. <clears throat> 
I've even done now because you can do longer form videos on right. Twitter. I've done really long like walk and talks at the gas station where I'm holding up the gas pump and I'm showing you the difference on how much it costs to fill up in BC versus Alberta. And I've explained it all and I've got all the taxes there because my team does so much great work on gas taxes. That information is not being provided to you by the government. Okay, yeah. they're they're not issuing a press release telling you how much they're screwing you over in British Columbia on filling up your pickup truck. It's 50 bucks more per fill up, by the way, versus Alberta. And so this is where things get really frustrating is I need to get that messaging out. It got tens of thousands of views. What happens then? Yeah. What happens if we're cut off there? And I will also point out that the government itself has called, I don't know if they said disinformation or misinformation, but they, they don't like the word carbon tax. They like levy, fee, oh. levy, something, levy. price on pollution, etc. Um, they don't like the word carbon tax. And we talk about the carbon tax mm. all the time. And we've been around since 1990. Are they going to deem that misinformation and then block it? Like, it's really bad, folks. And for folks who, if you're on the complete opposite side of things and you're a huge fan of all this, imagine your guy is not in. Imagine it's the other guy who's yeah. deciding what you can say and see and share. This is the crux of free speech and free expression. Yeah, I'm one of the things that sort of turned me into a citizen journalist was seeing a clip of Andrew Breitbart. I think he was speaking at a Tea Party rally, and it's in the movie Hating Breitbart. I recommend everybody see it. And he tells – and I say this sometimes at our Rebel News live events. He tells everybody in the crowd to hold up their cell phones. And he says, there's a sea of new media to debunk the lies. And that was like in 2010 – um, what an oracle that man was. But it is the it is the importance of new media that is prompting the censorship of new media by the powers that be. Because mm -hmm. it is so instrumental in undoing the lies that they must censor it to maintain control. Um, it's incredibly powerful, that media. And so this is where I think we're in this struggle right now, this this crux of, you know, how much power do, do, uh, do the average people have? How much information are we allowed to see? Who should be deciding what we're allowed to see? And so I, <laughs> the mom in me wants to think that in the future it will calm down, uh, because I want an, you, have to you know, a nice bright way. future. Right, exactly. I want a nice bright future for my kids. Uh, but I think fundamentally, uh, we need to be able to hold government to account. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation was founded in 1990 for lower taxes, less waste and accountable government. And we can't have accountable government if we don't have these tools and we don't have this power and we're not getting the information we need to make our own informed decisions. So this is, again, why it's so incredibly important that we not pay the media. Government-funded media shouldn't exist in Canada. And what I found really interesting is when Elon Musk labeled CBC government-funded media, how mad they got. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. Like, I was truly I puzzled. Why did they get so mad? Like, they are. I know. They are. Like, I wouldn't get mad at somebody saying, oh, you're a grassroots organization with a huge support base in uh, Western Canada <laughs> growing in Ontario, etc. Like, Okay. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Accurate. 
You know, you want small government. Yeah, we do, because it's big and wasteful. (laughs) Like, if not, it gets big and wasteful, and we're going to be spending more than 50% of our paychecks on taxes. Sure, guilty as charged. So, if they're literally government-funded media, why are they getting mad about being called government-funded media? And so, this is where we're saying there's a real simple solution to that. Like, just stop taking taxpayers' money. I think there's an acknowledgement by the CBC right there that there is a certain stigma attached to being uh, on the government dime. Now, I I just want to change lanes because you just talked about it there a a second ago. um, And that is that it is summer driving season in Canada. I I think Western Canadians, we like to drive to wherever we're going. I know like in the (laughs) office, they're all in Toronto. They're like, oh, we'll get you a flight to Calgary. And I'm like, no, I live so far from the airport. By the time I get to the airport, go through security, Pay for parking, pay for parking, get on the shuttle, get over there. I'm in Calgary. Like it's, it's, it's four hours either there and I get to have my vehicle on the other side, which is a bonus. So we like right? to drive places, although this is Fame. a very vast part of the world. Um, and it is more expensive than ever, just as we're coming into summer driving season. And luckily in Alberta, it's a little less expensive than everywhere else, but it's still crazy expensive. Yeah, it's hugely expensive. So good news first. Uh, you just pointed it out, Sheila. Uh, we have the lowest gas prices typically in all of Canada. That is because we have the lowest gas taxes in all of Canada. And sneak peek, uh, we're going to be doing a lot of, uh, press conferences and fun stuff all on in August, mostly on this from the taxpayers perspective. Um, and so we pay the lowest gas taxes in Canada here in Alberta. Because we don't pay any provincial gas taxes. Right. None. None. I think it's 32 cents per liter is taxes uh, here in Alberta. And all of them are federal. Because Premier Daniel Smith has continued the suspension of the 13 cent per liter of Alberta fuel tax. So that saves you just that one suspension of that one tax saves you about 15 bucks every time you're filling up a light duty pickup truck. So... I'm going to be driving one of those light duty pickup trucks to the airport in a few minutes to go hang out with a family member. Uh, that's saving me $15 than I would be, uh, otherwise. Now, if we can put, if you're driving to the lower mainland in British Columbia, which I just did to go to a family wedding. Whew, so, uh, taxes in the lower mainland are about 77 cents a liter. That's like half. Yes, it's so gross. This is why this is why gas prices in Vancouver are about two bucks a liter. So and it's it's unnecessary. So in why? So in BC, especially so lower mainland. So, you know, GVRD, Greater Vancouver Regional District, they pay uh, the first carbon tax. They pay the second carbon tax, which is an extra 17 cents a liter. And they pay uh, a Metro Vancouver TransLink tax for their transit system, which is 18 and a half cents a liter. Yeah, it's horrendous. And so this is why they have the highest fuel prices in North America. And this is why folks can cannot afford anything. People say, how are people making ends meet in Vancouver? They're not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're not. Average working people are not making ends meet in Vancouver. Um, and so here in Alberta, though, it is we've got the best deal. It's still expensive. And we're bracing ourselves because now uh, the carbon tax is going to triple the first one in the next seven years. And now there's a second carbon tax. So Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, not kidding, took a look at the gas price in BC and said, that's awesome. 
I'm going to do that across the rest of the country. And so now there's a second carbon tax in place, uh, for, you know, in the rest of Canada. We don't know how much it's costing us out of the chutes just yet. It's in play. Like the bell is rung. The horse is running down the ring. Uh, we just don't know how much it's costing us yet because the second carbon tax is a really complicated form of government fuel regulation where they penalize companies for the carbon content of their fuels. And when they can't reduce the carbon content of their fuels, the companies then have to pay a fine and they pass that fee on down to us at the gas pump. So in BC, typically it's 17 cents a liter up and down for gas. It's 19 cents a liter thereabouts for diesel. Like how truckers do it there, I don't know. Um, and so now we're waiting to see what happens. We do know, though, the Parliamentary Budget Office, who does amazing work, nonpartisan government, uh, arms reach government organization. They're a watchdog. They did the math. And by 2030, it's going to be as expensive as it is in B.C. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I know it's gross. I don't know what it is right now. It could be five cents. It could be eight cents. We're going to have to wait, I think, a couple months for yeah. it to shake out to see where it comes out. But it's in play right now. We have two carbon taxes now. And that ends up being tacked on to everything. I was saying yeah. the other day, I think it was to Drea Humphrey, that you know, uh, my oldest moved out of the house a couple of years ago. And the kid is a food furnace. You know, he's six foot three. He's... You know, he's a pipe fitter. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and my 17-year-old daughter is a high-performance athlete who is also a food furnace. But it feels like she moved out because she works all the time. She's training at the gym and she's playing her sport. So she's always gone. I know she's eating somewhere. I'm looking at her and I'm like, no, you're eating, obviously. Just not here. But my grocery yeah. bill is still the same as a couple of years ago when both of them were eating me out of house and home. And it's because of stuff like this. It's not just hitting us at the pump. It kicks down every step of the way through all aspects of the economy, but especially food. Yes. And this is something that people really need to understand. So the pump price, the one that's still hidden, by the way, like yeah. you need to look it up to find out how much it is. But that's the most obvious because there's literally a price tag hanging in the sky everywhere you drive. Okay, but it's the cumulative layered carbon tax on everything that is a major problem. So even diesel. So truckers obviously use diesel. Filling up just, you know, one of those big rig trucks, Huge. the two tanks, the cylindrical tanks, costs about 150, 160 bucks extra just in the carbon tax. Filling up, you know, a locomotive that uses diesel. It's around $2,400 if you do the math on the carbon tax. And now if you go to farmers, so farmers do get a break on on-farm fuel. It's a really complicated thing right. they need to fill out. But a lot of folks don't know that they've had to be paying the carbon tax on natural gas and propane, uh, not just to dry their grain product, but to heat their barns. Yep. So, you know, spoiler alert, if it's January and it's Saskatchewan, uh, you need to heat your barns or to, to keep cool your livestock a lot. Or to cool their barns, their chicken farms, their hog barns. It, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's everything. Great point. Yeah. Great point. And they use the same stuff. They use natural gas or propane, etc. Though that's all carbon taxed. And a lot of folks don't know that. Yeah. Um, so now you've got, you know, on the farm carbon tax, on the truck carbon tax, in the grocery store. Right. Same thing. Heating and cooling. 
right? All day long, all year long. That's carbon tax. Now you're driving there to go get it. See? So this is the layer cake from hell, which is the carbon tax. And that is what is helping. It's not the whole problem, but that's certainly helping make your grocery bill go up. And, you know, I just saw um, an article that you wrote about how Quebec on the flip side is getting a very special deal on the carbon tax. And I'm like, we're over here in Alberta. We're keeping the place running. <laughs> we're fueling everything. We don't get a deal, but Quebec gets a special deal. And we're supposed to just think Confederation is just working all hunky dory. It's like, stop me if you've heard this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quebec's getting a special deal. And what I think is interesting here is that it's really highlighting mm-hmm. how special a deal they're getting. So to be clear, we want everybody to pay zero carbon yeah, tax. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> across, like, French, English, you know, space aliens in in Canada. Nobody pays the carbon tax. Yep. Um, but now, is this ever getting highlighted? Because for the first time ever, the Maritimes, Atlantic Canada, they're paying full freight on the carbon tax. So for a long time, they didn't pay the full mandatory minimum carbon tax. They were paying about two cents a liter on their carbon tax, where the rest of us were paying 14 cents a liter. So, overnight, July 1st, Happy Canada Day, uh, their, their window ran out, and the Trudeau government forced them onto the full mandatory minimum carbon tax. Overnight, Sheila, filling up their minivan in Dartmouth is suddenly costing them 10 bucks more. Oh. Like that. Like that. And people who sniff at 10 bucks, uh, I can get a roast chicken for 10 bucks. Yep. And then I can make soup out of it. 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Um, don't assume that that belongs to the government because it doesn't. Uh, so yeah, I think now people are really waking up and realizing. I'm even getting some texts from, you know, relations that I have down that way saying, what's this carbon tax thing? <laughs> And why is it so expensive? <laughs> and so, yeah, they're they're on it now. Um, our team, Jay Goldberg and Franco Terrazano, just finished doing a tour there. And people were talking about it. They could hear it over in the coffee yeah. shops. So, welcome to the party, pal, as yeah. John McClain would say. Yeah, a lot of people getting mugged by reality all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that term. Yeah. It's pretty good. No, Chris, I could I could obviously talk to you all day, um, but I know that you have to go to the airport <laughs> to meet with some family. Yes. <laughs> and I have other things to do. Um, let people know how they can support the good work that you folks do at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation because you'll never take a penny from Justin Trudeau. And how could you ever hold them to account if you did? Exactly. And to, for the record, we're not a charity. We're a nonprofit. That's for many reasons. And one of the big reasons is we don't give you a tax credit, even. So yeah. if you make a donation, you're just making a donation, free will, yeah. because we don't even want to give you a tax credit. That's how seriously <laughs> we take this. So if you go to the website, taxpayer.com, the best way to get started in our relationship is to sign petitions that you like. So that could be anything. It could be defund the media, defund the CBC. It could be stop uh, the gun grab. It could be uh, all sorts of stop the carbon tax. Even some really regional things, like something that really bothered me personally in British Columbia, is that they charge PST on everything there, mm-hmm. including used vehicles, which cost you thousands, and thrift store items. It's crazy. Like, just... Talk 
talk about attacking the poor. It makes me so mad. And so there's even a very specific angry petition in British Columbia saying get rid of the PST on used items. So whatever floats your boat, sign the petition on that issue. And that way we'll start having email conversations with you. And the next time we're all doing a big blast to a minister or speaking up at such and such a time, you'll get on the list. So just go to taxpayer.com and sign the petitions that tickle your fancy. You know, it's sometimes people say petitions are not effective, but I will tell you, I bullied Earl's into putting Canadian beef back on the menu and I got accused of working for Cargill by somebody in their media relations office. I'm like, no, I'm just, no, right? I'm it just, just no, it helps you it helps you create a standing army of like minded people. Yeah. And what is more grassrootsy than that? It's pretty wonderful. Yeah. You can affect change. It's uh and, and it's fun. It's fun to see these people quaking in their boots when I show up and I'm like, here's ten thousand signatures. Take them. (laughs) (laughs) Good work. Chris, thanks so much. We'll have you back on again very, very soon. Thank you. Well, friends, we've come to the portion of the show where we invite your viewer feedback because without you, there really is no rebel news. Unlike the mainstream media, we don't take a penny from Justin Trudeau to hold Justin Trudeau to account, just like the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And so we rely on the support of you at home. But because we rely on your support, I also think that you should also get your say, which is why I give out my email address. If you want to send me feedback about the show, put gun show letters in the subject line, send me an email at Sheila at rebelnews.com. Sheila at rebelnews.com. And it's gun show letters, gun with two ends. But don't hesitate to leave a question or comment wherever you're watching us. If you're watching the free version of the show on Rumble and you feel like sitting through a couple of ads, leave a comment there. I'll go looking there. Sometimes I even go looking on the censorship platform of YouTube. But today's comments come to us from Rumble and they are on last week's show with my friend and colleague and filmmaking partner, Kian Simone, about the recently wrapped up first leg of our documentary tour. And our documentary is called Church Under Fire, Canada's War on Christianity. And it details the treatment of the COVID resistor pastors when the lockdowns came to their churches. And we try to explain to Canadians who may not have been paying attention that what happened to these pastors didn't happen in a bubble. It was a slow burn from Justin Trudeau and his picking away at the treatment of Christians in the public square until it became completely reasonable and acceptable to drag pastors away in handcuffs from their crying children. Anyway, let's get into the comments. They're from Rumble. First one is from DCarb71. Are you decarbohydrating yourself? I'm an advocate of that. (laughs) Anyway, I don't have to be a Christian to be very angry over this. And even in Kentucky, I was angry at the way it was here and it wasn't as bad as Canada. They want to end the congregations and community that comes from it. I can't stomach even looking at Justin Trudeau, not that I think our leaders are any less evil. Well, I'm glad you could see what we were talking about in Kentucky. Kean, through quite a brilliant vision, decided to make the documentary in a way that if you were a recently arrived space alien or even an American, I'm joking, that if you didn't know anything about what happened here in Canada during COVID to our pastors, 
And if you didn't know all that much about Justin Trudeau or what he had done in the lead up to uh, those pastors being arrested in front of their children, that you could take in the story and really understand the context in which it happened. So uh, I'm glad that that sort of came through in our uh, conversation together. And St. Matthew writes, Thank you, Sheila and Kian. It was a pleasure and privilege to meet you personally. You must have been at one of our documentary screenings. I just returned from the public screening of your impressive video, Church Under Fire. The documentary will become a landmark in Canadian history, at par with those documentary films of battles for equal rights in the U.S. during the 60s. Well, more than anything, we wanted to make it an, an historical record of what happened because the other side of this is desperately trying to rewrite their own history and seek amnesty for themselves. And perhaps there can be reconciliation one day, but before reconciliation, there must be truth and, and the raw truth. And that's what we tried to present. It reveals clearly how those twisted-minded lunatics in Ottawa and the government of Justin Trudeau got carried away with their power and authority kick and seemed to relish every minute of it, and how their mindless, brainless servants, those lowerlings in government, on the provincial and municipal level and in the judiciary, and those police officers dressed in their black uniforms with those leather belts, with their impressive paraphernalia of handcuffs and guns that seemed to give them that feeling of authority over the citizens. This reminds me of my five-year-old dressed in his Darth Vader outfit playing the bad guy. Does this say something about their low-life mentality? This documentary must be sent to every school, library, and church in Canada in the United States. Well, if you were at our documentary screening, you know that we were working on distribution. I saw that just this week uh, the DVDs have arrived in the head office in Toronto. I'll have to explain to a young man like Kian exactly what a DVD is and what people do with them, but people still use them. It's how we used to get our videos in the olden days. <laughs> but anyway, we are working on distribution and we do want to make sure that we get this video in front of as many eyes as possible because um, people must know what happened to be a part of making sure that it never happens again. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, as always, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.